I was blind, now I'm seeing in color. I was dead, now I'm living forever. I had failed, but you were my redeemer. I've been blessed beyond all measure. All right, everybody, I am here today with Coach Ed Dudley. And um, the reason why I asked Coach Dudley to be on the show uh, or the podcast, and, and and everybody's been asking for me to get this podcast on iTunes. It's on iTunes now. All you got to do is search for Demand Excellence, and it'll come up. But Coach Dudley has been, you know, he's probably he's a Georgia legend, uh, all kinds of wins as a head coach. Um, he can tell me exactly in a minute. Um, been at a lot of different high schools, but he... You know, for, for two years, he was at Wesleyan as the offensive coordinator, taking a break from being a head coach because everybody needs a break from that after a while. And um, and he and I were talking. Of course, I'm trying to, you know, get wisdom from him. And, and he and I were talking, and I had asked him a question. Or we were talking about staying at Elka or, you know, coaches leaving jobs to take this jobs. And, and, and basically, his advice to me was, why would you leave? And... Um, and I, just very profound because I'm always looking for the wisdom of a coach who's older than me and has had more experience than me and has been in the same situation as me. So, <clears throat> Coach Dudley, thanks for being on. And can you, uh, for the listener out there, can you kind of take them through um, where you began after college and, and your road uh, in coaching? I can do that. It may not interest anybody, but I can go over it. Um, like you said, I've been coaching a long time, and I told my wife yesterday, I think it's a pretty good start, 35 years in, heading into season 36. We're halfway through spring football right now. Um, and I think that's a good start. I don't know how long I'll do it, but certainly I feel like a lot longer. But uh, I played football for a great high school head coach in George Maloof at St. Pius High School in Atlanta. And then went on and played football at Rhodes College, a Division three school. And as my linebacker coach liked to remind me almost every day, I was playing D3 football because there wasn't a D4. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was funny. My, I told my dad I wanted to be a coach. He said, well, you better go play somewhere. And it just turned out to be a great experience for me. And then I was very, very fortunate. We used the word blessed way too much today, but uh, perhaps blessed to go to several different schools as an assistant, and I I worked for all great head coaches, and I started out at Clark Central High School in the mid-1980s with Billy Henderson. It was just incredible. It was like a graduate school course in how to be a coach, and he was such a coaching legend, passed away just two years ago. I love the man. Can't say it. Enough. I mean, you could write a book about all the good things that we learned from him and his coaches and his and his players. Um, worked for Steve Brooks at Statesboro High School as his defensive coach, and you know that was kind of our first coaching disaster as young coaches. And you really learn a lot more from the bad times than you do the good times. In the good times, you think you're smart and know what you're doing, and in the bad times, you really have to examine what's going on and, and take a few notes. I got to work for uh, Jerry Sharp at Darlington School in Rome, one of Georgia's all-time best coaches and and one of the best human beings that have ever lived. And uh, Ben Scott at Carrollton High School, I was his defensive coach for four years there. And we had a good run. You know, we played some great defense and 
and got to be the head coach at Buford after that at 29 years old. Way in over my head, but we had some success. And then Walton for 14 years, uh, where we built a pretty good program. Ware County, we had a really good run with some uh, good, good players and a lot of fun in South Georgia. South Georgia football is just a unique experience. And then, you know, kind of had a crash and burn at Carrollton High School as a head coach. Maybe Peter Principal out, I like to think nowadays. And as you pointed out, I retired and, and I took two years to go to Wesleyan and work for a fantastic head coach in Franklin Pridgen. Maybe the best guy I've ever been around as far as team building and communication goes. Um, got to, to really polish up on my spread offense stuff with a young quarterback coach, Andrew Ferking. Really enjoyed that. We had a great O-line guy in Joe Koch, um, who's now the principal there. And decided, you know, I just wasn't done as a head coach, and I wanted to get back to being a head coach. And was fortunate to get the job at Winder Barrow. Uh, we were up in northeast Georgia near Athens, and we struggled the first year. I didn't do a very good coaching job and uh, wound up 2-8, and eight, and we're right back in the middle of spring football with good numbers out. and uh, feel like we're building a program in the right direction, but it might take us, uh, it might take us a minute or two. So, you know, thinking about your coaching journey, um, one thing that was evident is you worked for a lot of good coaches. You learned from a lot of good coaches, and then, boom, at 29 years old, you go to Buford. What are some things that you learned at Buford as a young head coach? Because, obviously, that's a learning experience for you. What do you think, you know, there's probably, there's a lot of aspiring uh, maybe young coaches out there who want to be a head coach, what are some things that you didn't know going into Buford that you learned at Buford as a head coach? You know, Coach, that's a great question. I, I could I could probably do an hour or two on that. But <laughs> I always remember going out for my first home game as a head coach and my first head coaching game and the officials saying, hey, uh, where's your chain crew? I had no idea. I'd never thought to get a chain crew. And I, and I turned around, and, they, and there they were. They, they were, you know, traditional Buford chain crew, and they were there on time. There were just so many details and checklists that I needed to develop and learn as a head coach that people on the outside have no idea what's going on. And I can remember Philip Perkins running down the sideline. Um, we opened up against GAC that year. And he said, hey, coach, I'm here. And I said, great, Philip, who are you? He said, I'm your stat guy. I take all the stats and I put it in the computer. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Um, so I was really, in those first seven or eight years as an assistant coach, I was totally focused on the X's and O's and the relationships. And I, I really didn't uh, see the big picture, the fundraising, the community building, all the things that you have to do, um, hiring and firing, um, to make you a head coach. And so we, we were successful, but it was an everyday, and it still is, Jonathan, it's still an everyday learning experience for me. I'm, I'm a slow learner. I know when I started, and you can speak to this a little bit, probably, you know, first, like you said, there's I didn't know anything. Um, you know, I, but I, I think the first thing I wanted to uh, talk to you about is one of the biggest struggles I had as a head coach that I never thought was going to come um, I was good with kids, but I was—I I never thought about the conflict I would have with adults. Um, and 
um, the conflict, like I was kind of like, so for a first few years, I was kind of like running from conflict with coaches, but that almost did me in. And then I had to embrace the conflict. Did you, did you struggle with that? Cause you're, you're dealing with grown men. A lot of times you're younger than they are at 29. You know, I was, I was younger than every, uh, parent in our program and, it took a while, and I did like you. I ducked and dodged, and, you know, one of the four Ds of dodgeball, I did them all. I think I probably added a fifth D. <laughs> and you just – and now, as an older guy and, and somebody who has children, I, I tend to look at it through a different pair of glasses. And I, and I think, now, what does this parent, you know, what do they really need to know? What are they really asking me? And – so often I tell them, hey, come see me. And this spring we had a big meeting, and I said, come see me about your child's practice time. Every parent wants to see their kid get on the field in a game, but they don't know what they're doing at practice. And coaches, football coaches, evaluate practice time to earn game time. So I really try to do a better job now of communicating clearly with parents, but it really wasn't until I had my own children that I understood how irrational you can be about your own kid um, because you only see them through love-colored glasses and you don't want them to go through the hard times that actually make us who we are. So early on, I would be like, man, these people are crazy. And my dad kind of sat me down. He passed away a long time ago, but he sat me down and said, look, son, you don't want to make the mama bear mad. Um, and no truer words have ever been spoken because – when that mom comes after you, she is totally irrational. And so, you know, there was that part. And the other big part of parent communication that I struggled with early on was the college scholarship. Uh, my kid wants a college scholarship. Well, heck, everybody wants a college scholarship. Right. But most, most players aren't qualified. And my coaching staff at Walton used to laugh at me. I framed the University of Georgia's weightlifting poster. And I put it in my office, uh, the one where they would oil up Ben Watson and all those big, huge guys yeah. and all the muscles. And they would come in and say, Coach, my son wants to be a D1 football player. He wants to play. He's always been a Georgia fan. And I would say, okay, I'm with I did too at that age. Look on the wall over here and tell me which one of these kids your son looks like. And invariably they would go, whoa, I didn't know. You know, college football players, yeah, college football players look like that. And, you know, they just don't know. You know, only 1% of high school players successfully play in college. So how many parents out there successfully played in college? Not very many. And that was a big, I think that was a big step for us. Is, is starting to get out in front of those things as a coach and say, hey, let's talk about what they're looking for. Um, we do a recruiting presentation every year now, early spring to kind of educate parents on, on what's out there. That, that, so you kind of brought in the, the parent equation, and I think one thing that, um, and maybe every coach, you know, you always struggle with parents, um, irrational parents, but I think one thing that took me about four or five years, maybe four years to understand, is I have to be very, very careful about letting dads into my ear telling me about their son and how great their son is because my first four years as a head coach, I actually believed 
these parents. Like my son is 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 he's this, he's this, he's this. Um and I would be like, oh man, you know, like in my brain, I'm like, oh, this kid is a division one quarterback, you know, and but they were able to manipulate my mind and I wasn't guarding my mind. Like the Bible tells us to guard our heart. I wasn't guarding my heart. Like this is a completely biased opinion I'm listening to. And and I have to protect, I, I had to learn to protect myself from that. And so what I learned is if my eyes don't see it, it doesn't exist. Um, just because daddy tells me it does. Because like you said, every parent sees their kids through a different lens than what a coach sees. Because our, our opinion is completely unbiased. And I think that's a huge struggle. And I think the other struggle is these kids that have their personal trainer. What mom and dad doesn't understand is mom and dad, they're paying the personal trainer. So the personal trainer is telling mom and dad that the kid is better than he actually is because they need the paycheck. And then it's right. an unrealistic expectation when they come out and play football for us. Well, we try to explain the fact that, that the scholarship aspect of going transitioning from high school football to college football is a business deal. And high school coaches do not control what a college coach thinks about your kid. And I have college recruiters come into my office all the time, and they'll be laughing at high school coaches and said, yeah, you know, I looked at that Ed Dudley kid from St. Pius, and he's as good an 185-pound center as there is. And that means that if he works really hard and gains a lot of weight, he can play in Division Three. Right. You know, but these high school coaches will go out and say, well, I think, you know, I think Ed's a Division One player. I'm, you know, I might have been in blackjack or – <laughs> you know, gin rummy or something, but you know, it's just straight business. And so, what we're trying to do is educate our parents and our fan base into, hey, what are they really looking for? What What are the measurables that are non-negotiable? You know, and and college coaches are in the business of winning games for their college. Period. You know, if that if they can educate your kid along the way, that's sort of a byproduct. And I think that that it's a tough lesson, but as coaches, we have to stand up and, and teach our parents hard lessons as well as our players. I had a discussion with a parent uh, two days ago um, just about her son, and I, and I didn't get mad, and I didn't let it get to me. I just said, look, you know, there are players in front of him who are bigger and stronger and older, and in time, we hope he'll get to that level, but right now, he's behind him. So, uh, we, we do have an open practice policy. I let parents come out and watch um, until they interfere. And at that point, we close it. But uh, that's only happened uh, once or twice in 26 years. Um, I think parents appreciate the fact to see their kids. And, you know, they want to know that you're protecting them, taking care of them, and coaching them to the best of your ability. You, you know, speaking to that, you know, I, I always just get, like, little snippets from from coaches um, you know, because I became a head coach when I was 27, had no idea what I was doing. The school here was just trying to find somebody that would take the job for cheap. And um, so I had to really kind of – I have to, like, get information from coaches. And I remember, you know, playing um, Larry Campbell from, from Lincoln County, a legend, right? 
I think he won 11 right. state championships. So I'm trying to get everything I can out of Larry Campbell. And we go down there and we play in the state champion. I mean, not state championship. We play in the state playoffs. And we go down there. And um, Coach Campbell's talking to me. And on film, we know that he's, he's rotating two quarterbacks. He's got one that's way better than the other. But he's rotating two. So you kind of know something's up. Must be a booster club son or something like that. And um, – and so I, so before the game, here's a man. He's an idol in my eyes at this time because he's 11, 11 state championships. Whatever he says is gold. Um, and I was like, Coach Campbell, um, you know, I was like, rotate quarterbacks, all that kind of stuff. And he says, Yeah. And he tells me why. And then, um, and then they beat us. And uh, and then after the game, he says, Coach, he said, um, th- th- he said that one particular quarterback that's only playing half the time. His daddy refuses to talk to me, won't even look at me, hates my guts. And in my brain, I'm like, who in the world can hate Larry Campbell's guts? You know, like this legend. But it was eye-opening for me, and this is what I realized. No matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, no matter how good of public public relations I try to have with my parents and whatever I do to try to engage them, I'm going to have parents that are upset with me, and there's nothing I can do about that. Well, honest to goodness, you should have parents that are upset with you. Okay, if you don't, then you're probably not playing the right players in the right positions. Right, and that's uh, you know Tom Jones, who was a longtime offensive line guru in the state of Georgia at Brookwood High School, used to tell me if you you don't make a few people mad, you're probably not a real coach. And and we don't intentionally set out to make people angry. But uh, it's a competitive, you know, it's a competitive environment, and their kids have to learn to compete for their playing time. You earn what you get, you get what you earn, um, and I think that that's that's a tough lesson on parents. It's a tough lesson on players to learn that that hey, it's a competitive world, and I'm gonna have to get in here and compete in football. I think it's one of the great lessons of football. That along with if you get knocked down, you get back up again. Right. Um. So speak to kind of changing the subject a little bit. So another thing, you, you go to Buford, then you go to Walton, and during that time, I know was critical for you developing really who your identity was as a football coach. Like, you know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, I was an offensive line guy, and it took me a while to figure out, you know what? I want my team to be physical. I want to run the football. I want to play great defense. I don't want to take too many chances on defense. I don't want to take too many chances on offense. I just want to win the game of fundamentals and execution and physicality and focus on that every single day. And that's that's who I am. Um, and and a lot of you can't be somebody you're not. Like I tried the air raid thing. I tried to throw the ball. And after 18 interceptions in three games, I was like. Pfft. I'm not doing this anymore. And our defense was atrocious because they were so soft. Um, speak to that, how you developed your identity over that uh, period of time at Buford and Walton. Yeah, I believe that um, an old coach told me once upon a time that your biggest influencer is probably your high school football coach as far as what you do on offense and what you do on defense. And and there's a lot of truth in that. Um I've tried to copy and steal what I could from the coaches I worked for, but at the end of the day, um, I'm like you. I, we are a power spread offense. I've, I've gone down the air raid road, and I, and I love it, and I get that kids want to throw and catch the football, but uh, 
the, just the machinations of having to throw and catch a ball, catch a snap in the shotgun, there are a lot of working parts going on there. And so we're probably more run-oriented um, than other spread teams. We love the Clemson and Auburn model, and we love their playbook. And we just want to kind of accentuate the athletes that we do have. So right now, um, we're copying as much Elka football as we can. We're trying to uh, add a little quarterback, Kyle Reed, in there because I've got a muscled-up quarterback like the kids you've been playing the last few years. Yeah. And uh, defensively, I came out of college, and I played two years at linebacker and two years at guard. I was so confused after two years of college football as a linebacker. I don't think I made any tackles the last few games of my sophomore year. Now I started. Was that just and too much complexity? Coach, it was just, it was if then. I was taking a logic class at Rhodes at the time, and the guy did an hour lecture of if then. If they do this, then we do that. And I thought, you know, when I get to be a coach, I'm not going to have if thens. I'm going to have attack, attack, attack. You attack him, you attack the quarterback. So I tried to get out of there and simplify it and boil it down so that I wouldn't have players playing confused like I did in college. And, and I got my first defensive coordinator job at Statesboro High. We were not successful. Um, the head coach fired me after three games. That was a learning experience. <laughs> and then I, uh, I got a second chance at it at Carrollton High School as a defensive coach. And I went in to talk to the head coach about philosophy and X's and O's and a playbook. And he said, he looked at me and said, I don't know. That's why I hired you. Go buy a book and implement that defense. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, so I got, I got up and walked out. You know, at that time there wasn't an internet. And I went to a, a bookstore and I bought a book on how to coach defense and kind of went from their little Bill Orangeparker book. It ended up kind of turning us around. And, you know, I, I really believe defensively that the defense is a toolbox and, and you got to reach into the toolbox. And if you need a hammer, you pull a hammer out. If you need a screwdriver, you get a screwdriver out. But we're an odd front team and uh, have been for many, many moons. Love it. Love the flexibility of it. Love the fact that you can put uh, different types of kids against the other team's center and attack him and make his life miserable. Right. And um, and we're working on that right now. We're getting to that point right now at Wanda Barrett. We're, we're rotating a lot of kids and, and getting aggressive with it. But those years at, at Buford and, and at Walton, you know, we evolved depending on the type of kids that we had. And it was, it was fun times. And I had great assistant coaches. And you can never, you know, say enough about assistant coaches. That's where the real – teaching and coaching occurs. That's where the rubber hits the road. And just been very, very fortunate that God put these guys in my life. I, I tell them I attract crazy people, but uh, you have to be a little bit off to spend your life and your everyday coaching football. You have to be a little bit different. And it's there's nothing could be truer, I think, than that. Um. So you go from uh, go to Buford, you go to Walton. You spent 14 years at Walton. What made you leave Walton High School to go to Ware County? I'll be. It's very simple. I love that's kind of the apex of my coaching life was Walton, but I got tired of pulling up and parking in the same parking place every day. Um, that was one issue. Another issue was um, there were some 
stuff going on socially and in the in, with drugs and things in our community that scared me about my kids going uh, through school and, and that community at that time. Uh, we had a couple of overdoses in the lacrosse program and then a kid on my street. And I, I guess at that point, I was just looking for a new hill to climb. Right. And probably probably the hardest decision I ever had to make. I think it was the best one for me and uh, a good one for my family. Now, other ones I've made, and I've talked to you about this before, I don't think we're so good. But uh, I think that was sort of the right timing. Uh, I stepped away there and went to Ware County. Their program took off and went to a whole new level of success. And um, so it was sort of a win-win. So, yeah, you go to Ware County, and that's kind of where, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not a Georgia guy. You know, I didn't grow up in Georgia. and But that's kind of where I learned about who you were because, you know, you took Ware County um, – to, to the state championship one year and talk about your time there at Ware County about developing them into a, to a state power um, and, and, and the things that you did there to, to be successful. Well, I, I was very, very fortunate to go to Ware County. My, uh, my friend David Shields was the athletic director and I tricked him into hiring me as the head football coach. And, uh, we were able to put together an outstanding coaching staff though. The pay scale at, at Ware County is second to none, and so I could attract people from all over the state. And we went out and got great coaches. We implemented a very, uh, I think, a more systematic approach to the weight program. Um, they had worked extremely hard in the weight room, and uh, and they were well trained. But we had to kind of to redial them back into some more basic stuff, and and we got stronger, and we got a little more size. Uh, we really, uh, first place I ever really instituted a nutritional program. I thought that paid great dividends for us. And, um, and the community was right uh, for it. They had uh, played for a state title in 07. They had an interim coach in 08. We had a very young team in 09, and we struggled to a 6-6 six and six record. But then after that, it, it kind of took off a little bit. It took on a life of its own. And kids love being Gators and playing for the Gators. And, um, I think uh, I think they're about to hit that stride again. They, uh, you know, they had a, a couple of years where they were playing some young kids. Coach Frank Stevens was down there doing a great job, and now I think you're going to see Ware County take off again. Um, and like any program, there are going to be some valley years, and you have to you have to build your program against that so that that weight program and the things that you do in the off season, the track team, can kind of carry you forward and get you better when you have those older kids that are the great athletes. So then you move from you move from where to Carrollton, and you, you kind of mentioned, you know, Carrollton wasn't the best, uh, I guess, season of, of your career or whatever. Talk about <laughs> talk about that move and, and, and stuff you faced there. Well, you know, I think that, uh, I think I said earlier, that was sort of a Peter Principle move for me. A move where, you know, you go to a place and you just can't meet expectations. And it's very hard. Uh, you know, we all have an ego, Jonathan, and uh, very hard to go somewhere and just kind of flop. Uh, I feel like if I'd gotten one more year and we were on a building trend, um, we, we came in and inherited a very young team and a very tough schedule. Went four and six. Uh, yeah, first year's tough. You get, you, it's hard to get buy-in from the 
the other coaches, guys, and in particular, if the old coach has done a good job, as it becomes even harder. You know, it's easy to follow a coach that's, uh, you know, not very organized or not good with people. It's tough to follow Raven Teague or, um, uh, you know, gosh, a Heath Webb, and and because the kids are still loyal to that old coach. But anyway, I'm making excuses. We go four and six. Uh, we go six and six the next year with a young quarterback, and look like things were headed in the right direction. But uh, I, at that point, I guess worn out my welcome with the fans, and and they asked me politely to retire, and I and I agreed. Um, and then uh, I got a chance to go to uh, Wesleyan School um, with Franklin Pridgen, and my nephew Chip Myrick is the defensive coordinator. And, yeah, coach, it was just, you know, it was like that, that guy who's lost at sea and then he washes up on a on a deserted island that has fresh water. You know, it's just, it was kind of, a, kind of a regeneration time for me. It's really a wonderful place. I can't say enough good about that administration and coaching staff. But the Carrollton thing, you know, um, as a coach, you'd like to stay at somebody else's fault, but I'm, I'm at a point now where I really own that and I look at it and I, I say, hey, I would have done you know, these things differently. I would have two platooned a whole lot more. Kids at Ware County loved to play both ways. They thought that was cool. Um, we should have done more two platoon at Carrollton. Uh, we should have simplified the offense. We tried to take them from – uh, a wing T offense where they never threw a forward pass to to a spread offense, and it just the transition took longer than than we could afford. Um, and we were close on so many games and just didn't pull it out. And that's that's execution, that's coaching. And as I said, I own that and uh, look forward to to doing a better job at Winder here in year two. The um well, you know the thing about. Uh, the, the Carrollton job, I, I was scared for anybody that took the job after Rayvon Teague because they were griping and complaining about him. I think he had gone to like two state championships and had lost and, um, and, and the, or, or something like that. I know he had been to one and lost. Cause he I lost think, a, no, I think you're right. I think it's two, two or two losses. And what that means is you're the second best team in the state. It doesn't mean you're a loser. It doesn't mean you lost. It means – and, and somebody explained that to me after the Gainesville game at Ware County. You know, we walk off the field, and I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to jump off the building there at the Georgia Dome. And somebody stops me and goes, Coach, everybody in the state would trade places with you. And I went, wow, that's, that's profound. And, you know, the fact that Deshaun Watson was on the other team uh, really hurt us. Uh, we laugh <laughs> about that all the time now. You know, Nick Saban couldn't life, stop him you know, either. No, Coach, yeah, they're still not stopping him in the NFL. So, you know, I had all my fans say, well, you should have played man-to-man against him. Well, you see, you know, when the when you go man-to-man against him with, his, with the Texans, they can't stop him. So, uh, that's that's just one of those things, you know. You don't get to you don't get to deal that hand. And, and we talk about it a lot in the office. You know, football is a five-part stud, especially high school football. We don't get to go out and recruit, and you can't draw two new cards. You got what you got. You got to coach them up, and more importantly than the wins and losses, you got to make sure you're teaching them life lessons. So, coach, I'm curious. Just this question, and I'm going over 30 minutes, but I want to ask the question. You know, 
you worked at you worked at Wesley in a private school, single A private school, and yeah, they got a lot of money, and their campus is beautiful, and, and all this, and you know, and then you've worked at public schools, and you know, there's a big debate, you know, the public private debate, and there are some private schools that um, do give scholarships and do take advantage of uh, of situations, and, and probably don't do things right. But most of the private schools, you know, are they, they do do things right, and they're not giving scholarships for athletes, and it's all about academics. And speak to that a little bit, because I know probably Wesleyan's one of the hardest places in the world to win uh, because of all the academics, all the rigor, the, the uh, stringent um, admit, uh, admission requirements with behavioral records and academics. Speak to that a little bit. Well, there are a couple of points I'd like to make about the whole public versus private debate. Uh, one is that, as I told you, I think that the Wesleyan coaching staff and athletic staff does an unbelievable job with the material that they have and with the constraints that are put upon them. You know, at 6 p.m. every day, every sport is off the field. Hey, don't say you that because now my headmaster is going to hear that. Oh, well, hey, hopefully you won't listen to this podcast. But, but hey, they they won't let you go in. And I got in trouble year one there for showing film at, like, 6.15. Oh, my God. You know, uh, yeah, like, they were like, Coach, we don't do that here. Um, it's, it is a very strict environment. Now, that being said, uh, those kids are all bought in, and, and, you know, you don't have the behavior problems. But here's the thing. Larry Campbell said it best. Private schools, 100% of the kids that walk through your doors at Elka are ready, willing, and available to, for extracurriculars. That's not the same at a public school. You've got kids at a public school that have to work, um, that have to go after school and, and help on, in the family business, that have a part-time job. You've got kids that are academically not very motivated. They really don't want to be there. So. You've got some different situations between the two. I don't think it's so much a recruiting thing because we both know that there are school systems and schools out there in the public environment that recruit way more than the privates. Right. Way more. And they don't have uh, behavior requirements, a Christian mission. They don't have some of these other uh, stringent limiters to keep kids out. Um so it's not a recruiting issue. It's that availability issue. And at Lincoln County High, maybe they've got 600 students in the whole high school. Well, Larry used to say well, maybe half of them are fully available to be in the band, to cheer, to play football, to run cross country, to do whatever, to be in drama. And the other half are, are headed out. They're dual enrolled. They're working. they got stuff going on. or just not interested. Um, and I think that's the great divide for schools of equal size, say private versus public. Um, I think the biggest question, I'm all for the private-public separation that we have at Class A, but what do you do with Blessed Trinity, St. Pius, Marist, those bigger private schools? You know, they, they're going to have to keep playing in the public school leagues just because, you know, they've got – at Blessed Trinity, they've got 130 guys out for football. You know, they don't need to be playing a school that has 40 guys out for football. Right. So 
I, I don't really have the answer, and I've talked to people a lot smarter than me about it. Mitch Jordan over at uh, Mount Perrin is one that I keep in touch Former player, Mitch Jordan, that right. I keep in touch with. And I, I just I don't have the, the right answer for it. I kind of like, and I told Dr. Hines this the other day, I kind of like where we are right now. I like a private versus a public. I like the seven classifications. I believe in the, the reasoning behind it, more champions uh, for a growing state population. And I just kind of think that's, you know, that, that we're in a good spot right now athletically. The, um, you know, and, and like you said, you know, maybe at the single A level, you, that, that kid that has to go work, yeah, the private schools don't have to deal with those issues, but I would say, you know, the Bufords and the Calhoun counties and, you know, or, yeah, Calhoun, they don't have that issue either. Being a more uh, affluent uh, public school, um, so you're going to run into, you're going to run into that no matter what. I mean, the more affluent areas are going to have kids that don't have to work and they're available, like the kids at Milton, right. um, versus, yep. you know, kids in, in South Georgia, yeah, you're going to, they're going to have to go work. Um, so it just, there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be a, a unfair advantage somewhere. I mean, Alabama and Clemson have an unfair advantage. I mean, they have great facilities and they're in the Southeast. That's an unfair advantage. Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan State, they don't have that advantage where all the athletes are around them. Um, yeah. And I, I think when you look at teams who win, a lot of times, like we idolize Nick Saban and, and all these people, but at the end of the day, you know, Nick Saban didn't win at, my, at the Miami Dolphins. He has better players than everybody else. The team that's going to win at the end of the day, yeah, at the end of the day, it's, so they got better players. It's a player's game. I totally agree. I mean, and, and if you've got more bullets in your gun, the odds are definitely with you. Um, and I think that recruiting is a big black eye on the state of Georgia right now. Um, I think that uh, – you know, it's parent-driven a little bit. I'm going to place blame. I'm going to share blame with parents shopping their kids around and trying to take them here and there. And then this creates uh, a lot of jealousy out there between schools and programs. But if you do look at Milton High School and say, hey, you know, there's a school that had never won a state title and they did it this year. If you look at some of the up-and-coming programs out there, uh, you can see leadership still counts. And uh, there are a lot of players in the state. And, you know, if you if you if you work hard enough, you can be successful. You know, I don't know if you can you know, win every state title. Nobody ever promised you that. But success, you know, it means getting better, doing better, performing better, and growing up. All right. So last thing I'm going to ask you, and it's a hot topic for me. And I was talking with Joel Ingram from Washington County about it yesterday. Um, my, my biggest problem with, with the state championship being moved is here's what I don't understand. And I might be completely out of line because I don't, I don't know what, uh, Arthur Blank knows and I don't know what Mercedes Benz knows and whoever controls all of that. But Georgia high school football is one of the best high school football states in the country. The National Football League makes money because of high school football coaches, high school football communities, and high school football players. If there were no high school football coaches, because the big issue we have right now is, is in youth, 
and even in middle school and high school, kids aren't playing anymore because of the whole concussion thing. So what a high school coach has to do is we have to recruit our own kids at our own school constantly. Please play, please play, please play, please play. What I don't understand is um, how the uh, the Falcons and Arthur Blank and uh, Mercedes-Benz, I don't understand why they can't give that stadium – to Georgia High School Association free of charge for one weekend where it's supporting the communities in the state of Georgia, the high school football players, the high school football coaches. And to me, well, you know, coach, you don't know what you're talking about. It's a money thing. You could charge two more dollars per Falcon ticket, a $2 tax, which everybody would pay, $2. What's $2? And you would easily have the money to cover it. What is, you know, and, and to me it's like we have a great stadium, great high school football state, and, and, and the high school footballs can't play a state championship in that stadium that is supposed to be for the people of the state. What, what is your opinion? I would definitely agree with that. I think that uh, here's my thing on it. The whole idea behind going indoors to our state capital stadium when it was the Georgia Dome was that, it would be a great environment for high school kids to play in once in their life or whatever. And it was out of the environment. I mean, it was out of the rain, it was out of the snow, whatever you get that time of year, out of the cold. And people got excited about it. And some of the real pioneers behind the whole idea, Corky Kell, the late, great Corky Kell, and my friend Dave Hunter, really pushed forward the idea of, hey, this is a, the capital city of, Georgia, and we can really showcase high school football here. Um, the fact that, that we couldn't reach a financial deal and it was so expensive to use Mercedes-Benz is kind of tragic. I don't think Jerry Jones would let that happen in Texas. And as you know, he even built a separate stadium facility for high schools to play and practice in. And I mean, very supportive of the high school football movement in Texas. Um, would love to see us back in Mercedes-Benz. And I have nothing but love for Georgia State and their new facility. I think it's fantastic. But I, I think if you're going to move outdoors and out of Mercedes-Benz, you've got to go back to the home fields and, and the home communities. So I'm, I'm very concerned about this latest move. I uh, would love to see Arthur Blank, who, who is um, a, a great benefactor of sports in Georgia, let's be clear, um, step up and say, hey, you guys can use it. At expense only. We won't make any profit. You know, we'll pay. You got to pay. Pay. I get. You got to pay gate workers and security and all that. But we could afford the GHSA could afford to do that, and the school still profit. But in the situation we're in now, you're going to be outdoors. Yeah, it's a nice stadium, but you're going to be outdoors. We might as well go back to the home stadiums and let the Ware County County Gators play in Waycross, and let the Elka Chargers play at home. I just, I'm a big believer in that, and uh, I, I like to showcase events. I really do. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the money needs to stay in these hometowns if, if we're not going to be in Mercedes-Benz. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, um, you know, everybody doesn't say anything. And, so, you know, I thought about doing a petition with high school football coaches, and not, not in a negative way for Arthur Blank, because like you said, he does a lot. I wonder if he even understands how this impacts 
you know, who's talking with him, who, you know, because, you know, at, at his level, I'm sure all, I'm sure it's just at the, he doesn't even know what's going on. It's just the management level, and he, he pays somebody to deal with all that. And so my appeal. I would agree. My appeal would be to Arthur Blank. Hey, this is. This is this is what Jerry Jones does for the high school football. This this is, we we beg you, we beseech you to um, look into this um, and 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 help us out because, man, I just believe this high school. You know the NFL is on the backs, even though we don't get paid like the NFL, but on the backs of high school football coaches. And, and you and you take that away from them, you know the game ultimately yeah. is impacted at the at the next level. And um, and the Falcons do a lot of great things for high school coaches, but they do. They're great, and uh, and I love the King James version word that you use. We beseech you, you know, <laughs> we're 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 prostate. We're asking for because we don't have a leg to stand on other than people's generosity. And so much of our business, it's not really a business, is like that. We just depend on others constantly. Um, that's a very good idea. I might not use the word beseech. It's kind of old, but. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, hey, I'm, I'll, I'll be signature number one on your petition, Jonathan. I, you know, I'm your biggest fan, and uh, I think you know, you've been a, a great boost to high school football in the state. Uh, I, I really hate losing to the Elka Chargers because uh, you guys have uh, extremely well coached players. They don't make mistakes. We already we already alluded to that, but y'all are sort of a mistake free program. You can't you can't mess up. That's what we would we worked so hard at Wesley and trying to prepare game plans that you know could could gain an advantage and beat you guys. But you just you know they don't make mistakes. Extremely well coached. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, every day at practice, I, I see the opposite. <laughs> uh, especially, especially. <laughs> That's why they call it practice, right? <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Well, um, you know, our time's up, man. I had a great time talking with you, Coach Dudley. Always learn a lot. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep praying about the petition, and I'll pray about the, the word, too, beseech. But he's a smart man. He'll know exactly what that word means. Um, yeah, he, he probably he's probably hit that one before, but that's <laughs> definitely some King James version uh, lingo from you there. At this stage in his career, he doesn't have to beseech anyone. But um, so I'm gonna pray for us, Coach Dudley, and we'll be done. I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Lord, we come before you today. Just want to praise and thank you for loving us. Praise and thank you first and foremost for dying on the cross for our sins. Praise and thank you for men like Coach Dudley out there. I know they're critical for me in my life. Men I can go to and get wisdom uh, from, and they don't even have to be men I call every day. I can just study their life and talk to them um, as I see them. And uh, such an encouragement, Lord, for for people like me. I just pray you would continue to bless Coach Dudley and what he's doing there now at Winder Barrow. That he would be a blessing for those players and his coaching staff and his community of, of fans and parents. Um, Lord, and I just pray that you uh, continue to bless uh, the high school football coaches across the country, Lord, that we would uh, do we would use this game as a tool to build men for Jesus Christ and not as a tool to build um, our platform and our glory. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Coach. Amen. Thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir.